Thank you for listening to sermons by Chaplain Braswell. This ministry desires to help people know and live for Christ through the preaching of God's Word. And now, today's message. Well, good morning. It's good to see everybody today. My name is Chaplain Dan Braswell. It's so glad to be back preaching with you again uh, here at uh, Schofield Community Chapel. We're, We're so glad that you're here. If you have your Bible, I hope that you do. I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 16. Luke chapter 16, we're going to look at the second half of this chapter as we look at the parable of the rich man and Lazarus. We had a wonderful time here at Schofield Community Chapel over Easter, leading up to Easter with a couple of sermon series, getting ready for that Palm Sunday and then Easter. And then for those of you who've been with us, you know that we for several weeks have been going through this series on the parables of Jesus, the life-giving lessons. And boy, I was so excited last week when Chaplain Greg Clark cranked up the life-giving lesson series again and sent it. And brother, I hate to say it, but after after uh, you, you got up and preached, I was like, oh no, this is his first time preaching. And in my opinion, one of the hardest parables to preach. And we were talking about that, but what a blessing. Uh, the shrewd manager last week, thanks for sharing with us. And today we'll continue with the life-giving lessons. But today we're going to look at this subject Even if one rises from the dead, life-giving lessons from hell. Even if one rises from the dead, life-giving lessons from hell. I was talking to several people uh, throughout this week, as I often do, about uh, preaching and about those kind of things. And and, and we here at Schofield Community Chapel, we want to keep the community in the center. We focus on Christ. We preach the word every week. And we want to build community. A couple of us were talking before the service. We couldn't help but notice that more and more some of you are coming a little earlier and hanging out and spending time with each other. What a blessing. We look forward to fellowshipping with you after the service today as well. And today we're doing a meal. We're doing a fellowship and and I hope you're here to, to hang out and eat with us and those kind of things. But some church growth quote experts might say, well, well don't, don't preach on a subject like hell on a, on a time you're trying to reach people because it may turn people off. Hell, nowadays, I'll say it this way, the concept of hell has been air conditioned. Does that, does that make sense? Uh, go, go, go turn on anybody's sermon series and tell me the last time you heard somebody preach on hell. We actually looked at this series last year at Schofield Community Chapel. I know some of those people are long gone. Some of you were here when we were talking about how to connect with the center. We're going to revisit uh, this concept today. One of the things that we do is we preach through the Bible. It's very simple. That's all we do. We're either preaching through a book, we're preaching through a series like right now, the parables of Jesus. And what I love about doing that, as you go through the Bible, you're going to see all the different subjects that the God wants us to hear. You're going to hear the truths that God wants us to hear. We're going to be able to apply those things that, that God wants us to hear from his word. One thing we're going to do today that's a little bit different, and let me give you a little prep now. At the end of the pews, there are index cards like the one I have in my hand. As we talk about lessons from hell, I will give you the end right now. I want us, as God's people, to pray specifically for people that we know who are lost without Jesus Christ. I want us today to think in our minds and in our hearts, who are those people that if they died right now, we don't know if they would go to heaven. They may very well be some of those people who would die and go to hell. 
We're going to invite you to join us as a chapel team, as a chaplain team, to simply write down the names. I've got one that somebody turned in earlier, and I won't share what it says. But what I want you to do, invite you to do, is you pray for those folks. Put your names on the index card. When we have a time at, after this message that we pray together, I'm going to invite you just to simply walk up during that time, and you take your index card with a prayerful heart, and you drop it in here. The only people who are going to see these index cards is, is our chaplain team. We're going to pray for these folks together. What we're going to do is, as our, per our normal rhythm, to meet every week, we will divvy up these cards, and we will, throughout the week, they'll fit in a cargo pocket. They'll fit wherever in your sleeve. We'll pull them out, and we'll pray for these folks. Because we just sang about the you're the only God who can. The only hope that people who are lost have is the Lord Jesus Christ. That's why we call out to him, and that's why we cry out to him. So that's where we're going today as we look in just a minute at Luke chapter 16. When I think about the concept of hell, I remember a story about a little boy who may be like some of your children, which, by the way, I'm so glad all our children are together today. We have a nursery going. Children don't bother us. We're glad they're here. We want them to be here. Those noises, I don't know the difference. Nobody here. Amen. Yeah, yeah. We're glad our families are here. You get up, you walk around, you do what you need to do. If you go to that cry room back there, you can hear all this on the radio. Do whatever you need to do with your family. We're, we're just glad we're all here together as family. Well, this little boy was like some of your children. He knew the Bible. He was in school at a public school, and he was talking to his teacher about the story of Jonah getting swallowed by a fish. You remember that story? And his teacher was saying that, Maybe that story was made up and maybe the Bible wasn't true. So this little boy, he started arguing with his teacher. He said, no, I know the Bible says Jonah got swallowed by a fish. Jonah got swallowed by a fish. And she said, oh, maybe it was made up and all this kind of stuff. And they were arguing back and forth. And the little boy finally said to his teacher, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask Jonah if he got swallowed by a fish. And the teacher thought she'd get the best of him and she said, well, what if Jonah ended up in hell? The little boy having the last word said, well, then you can ask her. You can ask him. These two men we're going to read about, the rich man and Lazarus. They are worlds apart at the beginning of the story in everything but geography. They're there together. You're going to see a picture I want you to notice before we read it. You're going to see this great reversal. You're going to see these extremes. You're going to see a rich man who wore purple, which was the epitome of I am rich. That's just the way it worked in the first century. It was a very expensive dye that the common person didn't have. He was rich. He fared, the King James said, he fared sumptuously. He had every food imaginable. Whereas Lazarus long to eat the crumbs that fell from the rich man's table. You see, in the first century, rich people were so rich, they would just use the bread to wipe their hands. You know, if you took a loaf of bread and you crumbled it up in your hands, it would clean all the food off of your hands. Lazarus just wished he could have that. By the way, most of us in this room would have been considered rich in the first century. So lest you think we're only talking about millionaires if you can pretty much eat today until you're full and you have somewhere to sleep tonight, you're among the rich. 
especially according to the first century, you had a vast majority of people who were very, very impoverished, and you had a small group of people who were rich. When Jesus taught his disciples to pray, give us this day our daily bread, that was a real prayer by people in the first century. Oh God, can my, please let my kids eat today, and then tomorrow I'll pray it again. Probably would be a good idea if we prayed like that as well, I would think. Well, Lazarus in the story, he's the beggar. We're going to see he's covered in sores. Maybe he's already close to death by this, by this time. It says people carried him to the, to the steps, to the, to the front of the rich man's house. He couldn't even get there himself. We're going to read it in just a minute. It says that wild dogs licked his sores. These wouldn't be cute little dogs like you may see if you came to my house or if I came to your house. These were scavenging animals licking his wounds. One of my chaplain friends said hell's best kept secret today is trying to convince people that it does not exist. Why do people try to shy away from the doctrine of hell? When we read this passage, it talks about Lazarus going to Abraham's bosom. I mean, excuse me. Yeah, Lazarus going to Abraham's bosom. It talks about the rich man going to Hades, and then it continually uses words that describe hell. Torment, agony, anguish, thirst. Jesus spoke more about hell than he did about heaven if you go through and read the Gospels. Jesus said in Matthew 7 that wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there be many who find it, but that narrow is the way, difficult the way to life, and few that find it. The reason this is so important is because Hebrews 9.27 tells us this, it is appointed for men, that is all of us, once to die, and after this comes judgment. The reason I want us to think about those people we're praying for is I want us to understand the seriousness that every single person is going to die. With all of our great technological breakthroughs, the death rate, last time I checked, is still 100%. Everybody's heading to die. But then after that comes judgment. John MacArthur said this. He said, hell is an embarrassment to those who want Christianity to fill the modern dogma of, of goodwill and, and broad-minded tolerance. It's an inconvenience to those who want the biblical message to always sound cheerful to unchurched and maybe even church people. The doctrine of hell is, is irritating to those who want a religion that makes people always feel good about themselves. Go search the internet right now about anything spirituality and faith related, and it's all about how, how, how good I feel. Sometimes we treat church as if I'm supposed to come here, get my shot in the arm of feel goodness and resiliency so that I can make it through this week. Well, I hope and pray that you will be encouraged but to make it through this week, but the passage we're looking at today and some of the concepts of the Bible are literally a matter of life and death and go well beyond how I feel at the moment. For some, hell is an offense to those who care little about righteousness and don't really fear God, but they want to maintain some pretense of piety anyway. In this story, there's the great reversal of the rich man going to hell and Lazarus going to heaven. We know throughout Scripture there are examples of rich people who are godly. Abraham was rich. He was godly. Job was rich. He was, he was godly. There's examples in the Bible of poor people who are godly, but there's examples in the Bible of poor people who are ungodly. This passage is not saying every single rich person on the planet is going to hell. 
This person is not saying every single poor person on the planet is going to heaven. But we do know from this, we're going to see it in just a minute. Hell is a place of eternal conscious punishment for the wicked. I believe that one of the reasons we shy away from the doctrine of hell and we don't understand it is that because we don't understand two things. We don't really understand who God is and his holiness, and we don't understand how serious our sin is before a holy God. What I want to do now is I want to read this story together, and then we're going to look at a few things together on this subject, even if one rises from the dead. Jesus even gives us life-giving lessons from hell. Let's look at it together. Luke chapter 16, we're going to start in verse number 19. And we'll look at a couple of other passages, so either keep your Bible open or have your app ready so that you can look at some other passages this morning as well. Verse number 19. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. Watch this, verse 23. And in Hades, being in torment, he lifted up his eyes and he saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things, but now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us and you a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Verse 27, and he said, Then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come to this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, watch this, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. Verse 31, he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead, even if someone should rise from the dead. Today I want to look at several, I'm going to give you several truths regarding hell. I think you have a skeleton of the outline in your bulletin, and then we're going to actually look at a few life-giving lessons from hell, and then at the end we'll talk about the escape. From hell. So, point number one, truths regarding hell. Some things that this passage, but not only this passage, but other places in Scripture teach, so I'm going to give you several passages of Scripture. Point number one is this. Hell is eternal, as in it is forever. Well, how do you know that, chaplain? Because the Bible tells me so, right? It is an infinite punishment for sin, and that Punishment is just and right because it is a sin against an infinitely holy God. 
as our chaplain team was meeting, we, we have a, a regular meeting of our, of our preaching team. And if you like my illustrations or any of our illustrations, it probably came from one of our wives or somebody else. That, that's how, that's how we, we try to do the best we can at our preaching. But somebody was sharing with me that uh, there's, a, there's a doctrine that's not new, but it's creeping up again in, in some circles that, that the idea is, to, is hell sort of like a purging. It's sort of temporary. You'll, you'll, you died without Christ. Well, that's okay. We'll put you, God puts you in hell, and he gives you a chance to, 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 to get right there. And then finally, after being tormented for a little bit, you'll sort of, oh, I get it now. Now I'll go to heaven. That's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible says a supported man wants to die. After that comes what? Judgment. It is a place without hope of escape. Notice in verse 26, we just read it in Luke 16. There's a chasm between where Lazarus is and where the rich man is. And he says there's no going in between. Remember, that's what that's what Abraham said. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 25 or, or make a note of this. I'm going to show you another passage that, that talks about this, too. Look in Matthew 25. I'm, I'm looking ahead because we're going to look at these passages in the next couple of weeks in our in our last couple of parables. But in Matthew chapter 25. Verse 41, it says this, Depart from me, you cursed, watch this, into the eternal, if you have your own Bible, I encourage you to underline that, into the eternal fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. This is a place that is eternal. Go down to verse 46 in Matthew 25. It says those who are condemned, look at it, will go away into eternal punishment on the one hand, but it says the righteous to eternal life. Just a moment ago, Cody had our scripture reading, which, by the way, when, when I read it, to be honest with you, when I was looking at the seriousness of sin and hell, I, I began to tear up because I was thinking about the people that Cheryl and I have written on our index cards. What a, what a, sad, what a sad passage. In Revelation 20, verse 10, you don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. It said the devil who had deceived him was thrown in the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. And as you've already heard, the Bible says in Revelation 20 that those whose names were not in the Lamb's book of life, meaning those people who have not placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins, that those people too will go to this lake of fire that is eternal. Point number two about the truths regarding hell, not only is it eternal, but, but number two or letter B, it's a place of pain. It's a place of pain. Look at verse number 28 back in Luke 16. He's warning his brothers why. He says, lest they too come to this place of what? Of torment. Lest they too come to this place of, of torment. Go back to Matthew 25. I want to show you this phrase. If you, if you have a moment, turn back in your Bibles to Matthew 25 and look at verse number 30. In Matthew 25, verse 30, or just use your, use your app. Look at what it says in that same passage. Cast the worthless servant into outer darkness where there will be men weeping and gnashing their teeth weeping and gnashing their teeth. There, there, there's this, that's a phrase that continually comes up in Jesus' teachings about hell, weeping and, and gnashing of teeth. It's, it's, this, it's this idea that it, it is just this amount of pain that is just unbearable. 
It is a place of torment. Again, why are you saying this? Why does the Bible teach this? Because the Bible wants us to understand that God is holy. We've sinned against God and we desperately need an escape from this place called hell. We desperately need our sins forgiven. It's a place of pain. Uh, letter C, another truth about hell is it's a, it's a place to fear. It's a place to fear. All throughout the Bible, the phrase fear not comes up many, many times. But in regards to our eternal destiny, there's an idea that it, that it is a place of fear. This language of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Matthew, Matthew chapter 3, you don't have to turn there, it calls it an unquenchable fire. In Isaiah 66, it talks about the undying worm gnawing at the heart. The idea is that, that it is a place to fear because it is an idea as a place that should cause us much dread. Listen to what Jesus said about what we should fear. He said this. He said, don't be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. He says, don't be afraid of them. And Luke 12, by the way, is where this is. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who after the killing of the body has the power to throw you in the hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. One of the reasons the way is broad that leads to destruction is people fear all kinds of things except God. We fear all kinds of things except the concept of going to hell because we downplay the seriousness of our sin. We, we, we want to get as close to the edge as we can with our sin and still be okay as if our life is some sort of set of scales where if our good outweighs our bad, we will be okay with God. Mark chapter 9, you don't have to turn there, but Jesus said if your hand causes you to sin, what did he say to do to your hand? Anybody know? Cut it off. It's better to enter life maimed with two hands than go into hell where the fire never goes out. If your foot causes you to sin, what's it say do? Cut it off. If your eye causes you to sin, do what? Gouge it out. Y'all have read the Bible before. Amen. It's awesome. He says, better to have enter the kingdom of God with one eye than have two eyes and be thrown into hell where the worm does not die and fire is not quenched. Could I gouge my eye out and still sin? Absolutely. Could I cut my foot off and still sin? Absolutely. What's the point? Take very seriously the sin in our lives and understand we're sinning against a holy God and make all measures necessary to be right with God. We know from the rest of the Bible that only comes through faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. But I warn you, church, we live in a world where people don't want to hear that. They want to get as close to the edge as they can and do whatever they want to do, just like the end of the book of Judges, one of the saddest verses in the Bible Everyone, there, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. There was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. I can drink in excess all I want as long as I don't get a DUI. And I'll be careful because I know all the children are in here, but sexual immorality, I can do whatever, anything goes as long as everybody consents and as long as I clean up any mistakes that I make. which taken a human life last time I checked in the Bible is murder and human life begins at conception according to the Bible. But we get as close as we can to the edge and as long as we sterilize it, as long as we make it 
sound pretty, and as long as it is okay with all the people around us, we have no fear. Jesus says, no, no, no. Fear him. That is fear God. Well, I say all that to say this. One of the truths about hell is hell's going to be a place of fear. Letter D. Not only is it a place of fear, we're still on truths of hell. Point number D, or letter D. It is a place of, of sadness. D, we don't know the whole story, but did you catch the sadness of, of this of this of this rich man? He is sad over his over his, his brothers. It's interesting to me, I want you to note this. When you read that story, did the rich man mention anything about being sad over the loss of his money? I didn't read anything like that. All of a sudden, the people in his life that he knew might be heading to the same place. It was a place of sadness. In Dante's ancient work, Divine Comedy, he talks about, he has a section called Dante's Inferno, which in many ways, some of the concepts that have made its way to our world about hell that are not biblical can trace their way back to Dante. However, in his section, The Inferno, he describes a sign at the portal of hell that says, Abandon all hope, all you who enter here. It is a place of sadness. Well, number five, it's a place of isolation. Notice Luke 16, 16. It says, look what it says. No, excuse me, 16. Uh, verse 26 Verse 26, one of our brothers lost his place a couple weeks ago, and he beat himself up for it, so I lost my place too, and God's still glorified. Amen. Verse 26, beside all this, look at what it says. This is all about the isolation. Between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. That is important because one of the truths about hell is it is a place of isolation. Here's a statement. One of the greatest gifts that God gives you and me is each other. One of the greatest gifts God gives you and me is each other. God places people in your life and in my life. Sometimes we call that community. That is why we intentionally changed our name. You might not know the history, but the name of this chapel service used to be, let's see if I can remember, the Main Post Chapel Contemporary Protestant Service. It's really long, so we changed it, and now we're Schofield Community Chapel. The community part was important because we know the Bible teaches that, number one, we need the Lord, but number two, we need each other. Yeah. Well, hell is a place of isolation. I've heard people joke about hell, which is nothing really to joke about. People say, well, that's where all my friends will be. Well, that may be true. But you're not going to be hanging out with them, enduring the suck together like you're on a rut march or out in the rain training or something, right? What makes those tough times in our lives on this world better is what? It's community. There's going to be none of that in hell. I was talking to somebody earlier, and they made the point that when someone feels lonely, when someone feels like they have suicide ideations, What's the connection? What language will they use? I've been going through what? I've been going through hell. Think about that. Hell is a place of isolation. I said this earlier. In modern days, hell has been air-conditioned. 
Just over the weekend, the Wall Street Journal came out with a report about the faith of people in America. I want to share a little bit with you. This is of the, the this is the ages 18 to 25, which piques my interest. I'm very interested in the 18 to 25 year olds since that's a lot of our soldiers. It's it's a lot of you, and some of y'all like me, you remember those days. But listen to this statement. Right now, approximately one third of 18 to 25 year olds in America say they believe in a higher power. The good news is that in 2021, for whatever reason, this research says that one fourth believed in a higher power. So that's a good jump. However, the Wall Street Journal gave me a link to the actual data and I read it and I said, okay, so that's that's positive. One third now, so more people believe in a higher power than, than, than used to be. But as I kept reading, I found this out. That one third that believes in a higher power are less connected to some sort of faith community than, than before. Although more people believe in a higher power, less people are connected to a faith community. I cannot help but think that Satan is very happy about that because he knows that if people stay isolated, if they don't have community, they will shrivel up and die. And isolation is what leads to harmful behaviors, is what, is what leads to depression and all these things. I say all that to say one of the saddest parts about the truth of hell is hell is a place of isolation. That's why we need these life-giving lessons. Well, that's the truth about hell. Let's look now at, at three life-giving lessons from hell. Point number two, life-giving lessons from hell. Point number one is this. We're going to see lessons here, I think, about who goes to hell. I think we're going to see lessons about what worldly status gets us. I want you to notice, again, who went, who went to this place of torment. It was a rich man. Worldly status won't matter. Bank accounts won't matter. Rank won't matter. Popularity won't matter. Social media won't matter. The, one of the truths we see about hell is, is who goes to hell. People who are, are being punished for their sins because they've never had their sins forgiven. The Bible says in Romans chapter 3, verse 23, many of you know that verse by heart, I would think. All have what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't know anything about this rich man besides what the text says. But we do know the Bible also says in Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death. But that the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. And we'll talk about more, than, more of that in just a minute. Lessons about who goes to hell. I want us to pray for lost people because I want us to, use, to see the life-giving lessons from this and think about the fact that in the grand scheme of things, what matters is what we do with Jesus Christ. Friends, don't fall into the trap of the world that, that talks about everything else except people's eternal destiny. Don't, don't fall into the trap that says, well, if we could just get everybody educated, if we could just get everybody self-aware, whatever that means, if, if we could just get everybody in their right mind and have mindfulness and have resiliency, all that'll, you could have all the resiliency in the world. I don't want you to have resiliency. I want you to bounce back through tough times. You could have mindfulness. You can have self-awareness. You can have a plan for your life and all that stuff. 
But the Bible also says, what does it profit anybody to do what? To gain the whole world and lose what? Lose their own very soul. There's lessons here about who goes to hell. Point number two, the second lesson is this. There's a lesson about priorities. I want you to go back to our passage in Luke 16. Lessons about priorities. There is clear vision in hell. It's interesting that the rich man in hell, his vision gets right. And his priorities shifted just a little bit. Look at Luke 16, verse 23. We read it earlier. Being in torment in Hades, he lifted his eyes. Here's the vision. And he saw Abraham afar off. And he saw Lazarus in his bosom. He was able to see what he was missing. When it's too late, everything becomes clear. It is true. The phrase hindsight is what? It's 2020. Jesus said that the coming of the Son of Man, that is his second coming, will be like the days of Noah. You remember that story? And Jesus said in the days of Noah, people were eating, drinking, just living life. And they did not understand until the flood came. Noah told everybody it's going to rain and it's going to flood the earth. They all thought it was crazy. But I'll bet you that once that water got up to about here, or maybe you're shorter than me and it was here and you're over your head but close to my head, wherever, when that water started rising, I can only imagine by then, Jesus' point is, they knew it then. They had clear vision. There's clear vision in hell. Verse 24 in Luke 16, remember what the rich man said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He finally understood that he needed mercy, but it was too late. Send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger, for I'm tormented in this flame. It's interesting to me too that even in hell the rich man doesn't, isn't totally right with God. He still thinks of Lazarus as, as a peon who he sends to do his bidding. Did you catch that? Send Lazarus down here to bring me water. Send Lazarus to bring his brothers. The priorities begin to come into focus. It's interesting that evangelism seemed to be a priority in hell. Go, go talk to my brothers. People in hell wishing that someone would go to their family, testify to them, to, to witness to them. There's priorities in hell. So one of the life-giving lessons for you and for me, how much better is it to have those life giving lessons in those priorities right now. The third lesson is this. You see a lesson about God. You see a lesson about God. Notice his memory is really good in hell. Remember in your lifetime you received good things and Lazarus evil, but now he's comforted and you're tormented. I can't help but think in hell there's people who remember sermons they heard about Jesus. I can't help but think in hell there's people right now who listen to a Christmas sermon, who listen to an Easter sermon, who listen to a grandmother who tried to tell them about the gospel, who heard about Jesus. Lessons about God, that he is merciful and he gives you an opportunity. But one of the lessons we learn about God is he is merciful and he is gracious, but there's going to come a time when that's going to end. Romans chapter 1 says that God's Invisible qualities have been clearly seen being understood from creation. And Paul makes the argument that people are without excuse. One of the lessons we see in hell is that God is just 
And God does give opportunity. The Bible says, whosoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. But at one point, at some point, that is going to end. This guy realized that God exists. He realized his need for a Savior. He's learning some things about God. By now, he knows that Jesus is the only way to heaven. In Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 11 that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Philippians is teaching us this, this concept that there's going to come a day that, that even, even those in hell will have to bow their knee and confess that Jesus is Lord. But for salvation, it'll be too late. I couldn't help but think about that statistic. One-third of, of the young people in America believe in a higher power. I can't, help but, I can't help but think that's a great place that Satan will want us to be because in James it says even the demons believe and tremble. We learn lessons about God. We, he has good intentions. But as another saying says, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. He's, he's asking for his brothers. But for this rich man, it's too late. Well, point number three is this. It's the escape from hell. The escape from hell. In this story, the rich man pays attention to Lazarus too late. He sees the chasm too late. He worries about his brothers too late. He heeds the law and the prophets too late. Notice the conversation between the rich man and Abraham. He says, send Lazarus to my five brothers. And Abraham says, no, he has the law and the prophets. What he means is he already has God's word. He's saying he has the Bible that teaches the escape from hell. He has the Bible that teaches the way of salvation. Guess what? We have even more because Jesus has died and buried and has rose again and ascended to heaven and he's coming back again. We have the complete God's word here. Everybody in this world has all of this. But then it's interesting that the rich man says, oh, but my brothers, they'll believe if somebody does what? If somebody rises from the dead. Well, two weeks ago we celebrated Easter and we had a big crowd here to celebrate Easter but as I, I love to say after Easter, Jesus is just a lot, just as much alive right now as he was two weeks ago on quote-unquote Easter. Amen? Yes, he's alive. No, they'll believe if somebody rises from the dead. Abraham, because he knows how the world is, he says no. In some cases, they won't even believe, even if someone rises from the dead. Even if a bunch of disciples were willing to die for the cause of Jesus Christ, they won't believe. Even if the tomb's empty, they won't believe. Even if there's 500 eyewitness accounts of Jesus' bodily resurrection, like it says in 1 Corinthians, they still won't believe. Even though the proof is literally at the time standing right in front of them, they still won't believe. Folks, we all know people who even though God's word tells us that we are sinners in need of a savior and that Jesus died on the cross and three days later rose again and we must place our faith and trust in him to be saved. Even though that truth is staring us in the face and staring the world in the face, even if one rises from the dead, even if one has God's word, we still have people who have not made it to the escape 
from hell. I'm going to ask the band to go ahead and come up and, and we're going to just play a little bit of music. As they do that, what I want us to do is I want us to do a couple of things. First of all, you may have been listening to this today and you may say, Chaplain, I am the they who needs to trust Jesus as Savior. I, I, I am on my way to hell. And God has spoke to my heart. And somehow, for whatever reason today, I now understand that. If that's you, I'd love to speak with you. I'd, I'd love to talk to you about how you can trust Jesus as your Savior. If you're, if you're here and you're lost and, and God's spoken to you today, I encourage you to reach out to one of us and, and we'd love to pray with you and talk with you about those things. Many, many of you, I have no doubt by this point, have thought about names of people that you know and you love and you care about. If you've not done so yet, you still have time. I encourage you to write those names down. We're going to put them in this basket. Nobody's going to see the names, but God himself, obviously, and us as chaplains, and we're going to pray for these folks together. And I'm going to ask the chaplains, uh, if you'll come up with me, at a time like this, we're going to reflect, and, and we won't tarry, but we'll have a time to pray together. If you want to pray with someone about a particular matter, one of us will be up here, and we'll be glad to pray, to pray with you. And then we'll close with one of the choruses of, of this song that we're going to do, and then we'll, we'll be dismissed. But in an attitude of prayer, I invite you to stand and I invite you to get ready. As you feel led, walk up, simply place your index card in here. And then I invite you to come up with one of our chaplains. And if you would like to pray, you can pray as well. It's just an attitude and a heart of prayer right now as we pray together for the next few moments.